Time to Head North Podcast. Brought to you by The North Group, where security is refined by intelligence. Hello, everyone. It is time to head north and we're all in it, right? I mean, I, first of all, before we get started, I just want to say this is this is our group, okay? This is all the North group here. Everyone's been putting in long hours, so I appreciate everyone taking the time to have this discussion. It's necessary, especially because we have our hand on everything in POTS, and this is just meant to be really an open conversation, right, Vince? Like, we, we just, we have questions. We want to know what's going on. We want to know how the hell we got here right? Because it's a mess. So obviously we're talking about Ukraine. Um, I want to start with some strategy type questions and thought provoking questions. And, you know, Steve, you, you have a wealth of knowledge. So again, let's just start with how, how are we here in 2022? How are we seeing what we are seeing? And you're muted, buddy. So unmute. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this whole situation in Ukraine has been, has been long time coming, right. Um, you know, not to go on down a boring history lesson with Russia and, you know, the fall, the fall of the Soviet union. Um, I'll let Sam kind of touch on some of the history parts of that, but, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin is, a very well-respected, you know, former intelligence officer turned politician. Um, he's had his finger on the pulse and control of Russia for the last 20 years. Um, he's attempted to go after, you know, annexing Crimea back in 2014. Um, you know, so this isn't, uh, this isn't kind of something that wasn't expected. Um, but you know, you got to step back from a military and an intelligence perspective and look at this and go, what, what's his end game, right? What's his second and third order effects. I mean, here, why is he doing this? I mean, he's, he's lost 4,100 plus troops reported. He's, he's got a number of, um, assets, military assets that have been deployed that have been taken out. Um, what is what is his end game and why um, I, I don't for the life of me understand, you know, based on general Russian military doctrine, like their asymmetrical warfare handbook or things like that, that we've gone through and read at length here in the office, just to kind of, so we understand how to advise people, whether they should evacuate, whether they should get out of the region entirely. Um, so, and we'll get a little bit more into that, but it's definitely shocking how we got here, I think is a failure of U.S. diplomacy. Um, I think it's a failure of European diplomacy. I, I think that if militaries feel that there's a shot um, and if dictators feel that there's a shot, they're going to take it. And that's what happened. I got a question on all that, dude. So, you know, when, when you hear all this happening, what stopped him from doing this all these years prior? Why was right now the better time? Yeah, so so absolutely, um, and that's a great question. We we've been we've been answering that a few different ways. You got to remember, from an, when when you're looking at things from an intelligence standpoint, it's a lot difficult. It's a lot different than looking at it from a tactical standpoint, right? Because tactical, I have a few courses of action. I know that I can take. I'm going to take them, and and I'm going to move out. On the intel side, right, we're we're looking beyond, and when we start to analyze beyond um, why he would do this and why he didn't before, I think COVID has weakened our military. I think, you know, two years of a pandemic. I think all of these different things economically. I think this was just the right place, right time. Um, you know, twenty years ago, you know, Bush would have Bush would have just lit him up. I mean, if you look back what Clinton did back in the 90s when when China said that, you know, they started flexing towards uh, uh, Taiwan, he sent an entire strike carrier group through the straits between China and Taiwan ju just to send a message. And then it was all over for a while. Right. And then 
So you have old Russian doctrine that's being applied here by, by President Putin and his intelligence officers and his military leaders. They still believe that there is a sought reality to the old USSR being part of a new one, the new Russian Federation. And they just felt that right now would be the best time to do it because of global leaders across the world. I mean, the Duma, the Duma and the Federation came out and said the reason they were authorizing this, to my, to the best of my knowledge, was because they weren't going to have their citizens and their country endangered by a NATO ally on their border. So my question is, if you take Ukraine, now you're bordered to eight NATO countries. So does it stop there? I don't know. If that's, the, re- if that's the reason we went to war, you know what I mean? That's, that's the head-scratching thing that I think everybody in the government, the Pentagon, the intelligence community is going, wait a minute. So you just went to war for a reason. Now you're creating the bigger reason to keep going to war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other side of it is the other question I have is what I mean what stops us US from getting involved immediately? Obviously they're not Ukraine is not a part of NATO, right? So then they're kind of a free floating entity in the sense where you know they they can choose whatever they want and whatever happens to them it's really none of our business in a sense, but as kind of being labeled as the world police, it's kind of hard to sit and watch and and I'm waiting I'm like from a from a from a perspective of just a viewer saying like, what are we going to do? I haven't seen much happen. And, and in the case yeah. that we choose to do something, does that mean it's, it's an act of war? Like when is it an act of war? We're like, okay, we're in boom, let's go. Well, it's, it's very, uh, I'll, I'll pass it over to the Intel guys here in a second on this because, you know, they've been, you know, I got to give it to them. We've been, you know, helping evacuate people and helping guide people to resources that could get them out. And these guys have been paramount. I will tell you, they didn't sleep a lick this weekend. They stayed up all night, um, all weekend, all day, just trying to monitor the situation. So that way we could properly advise people. But, you know, geopolitically, there's, there's a stark reality happening. There's the reality on social media here in America. And then there's the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground is this. This is going to get worse, and there is no end in sight. That is the reality on the ground. Um, There's a lot of disinformation on social media. There's a lot of people, you know, the ghost of Kiev and, you know, the the Ukrainian model is going to take up arms with an airsoft gun, you know, and all that stuff. And that's great. Like, listen, I'm I'm an information warfare guy. Like, I get it. Like, let's, you know, I, I love that stuff. But here's the deal. Um, that doesn't help people know that you need help. That helps people think that you guys are winning a war in Ukraine when you're, when you're not, they're not winning. And, and for us to sit here and, you know, I mean, just day after day, see on Fox that, you know, the Russians are getting, you know, uh, propelled away and all, and all it's, that's, that's not a reality. That's disinformation. The reality is the moment I don't believe that the Russians will stop. I mean, Sam, I'm going to throw this over to you because, you know, you've been, you've been, we've been looking at different strategies and different outcomes and we've been whiteboarding the heck out of this based on Russian doctrine and, and even other foreign military doctrine, foreign intelligence doctrine. Um, What do you want to add to that, Sam? Um, I think considering what Russia's end goal is, you can't just say that there's one end goal here. It's not that they're doing this for X reason. There are a few reasons. Um, Some of them have more validity than others. So one of the reasons is before the invasion, um, Putin wrote an article called On the Historical Unity of the Russian and Ukrainian Peoples, which it was was, the whole point of his article was he was trying to, to show that really the relationship between Moscow and Kiev uh, goes back to the 800s. And the way he does that is very um, colored by being the president of Russia. Um, so there is definitely an idea in Russia that Ukraine, um, the, especially the eastern part of Ukraine, has historically always been part of Russia. And alongside that, 
um, there is a constant fear in Russia of the expansion of NATO, especially after the fall of the Soviet Union. So in 1991, um, Russia anticipated that NATO, if it didn't dissolve, they expected that it, at the very least it would not move further eastward. And then you see the addition of Poland and the Baltic states into NATO. And this frightens Russia. Um, so when they look at Ukraine, um, they're concerned about Ukraine's uh, deeper ties with NATO. Um, and in particular, I think the trigger event for this was um, in March of 2021, uh, President Zelensky signed a decree on the de demilitarization of the occupied Crimea. And this is about the same time that we see Russia begin to prep its troops uh, on the borders of Ukraine. So in the Russian mind, Ukraine is aggressive. Um, Ukraine wants to join NATO and Ukraine is willing to launch a counteroffensive in the Crimea. Whether or not that's true doesn't matter the Russians believe it's true, and so they're going to act that way. So their goal in um, this invasion and what we've seen reflected in their plans is to take the eastern portion of the country where there are a lot more Russian speakers. And I think some of the, the slow pace of the advances, they, they didn't anticipate the Russian speakers to be so hostile, um, but is to take the eastern, um, the eastern uh, portion of the country. And then they'll want a neutral state in the western portion, sort of a rump state version of Ukraine. And so when you see the uh, Russian military movements, they're all in the south, they're all in the east, and they're all on Kiev. Um, we aren't seeing any push down towards Lviv or any part of the western portion of the country. We're seeing airstrikes, and we may see troops um, deployed down there to you know, take out Ukrainian military assets or critical infrastructure. Um, but an occupation of the entirety of Ukraine is, it doesn't appear to be in the strategy and it's with uh, beyond the capabilities of the Russian army currently in the region. Well, let me ask, let me add to that and just ask questions on that alone. You say uh, military installations. I mean, this morning it could be propaganda. I don't know. Maybe one of you guys can, can verify this, but it looked like they bombed a local, you know, I don't know, building that was, you know, that didn't, that looked like they have a lot of non-military personnel in it. Am I correct? There are reports of that. Yes. Civilians and, are getting hit. I mean, I've seen videos, pictures again, and I don't believe everything I see. It's just one of those things like, Oh crap, if that's happening, that's kind of interesting. And, um, you know, what also we're seeing through social media is a lot of support on the Ukrainian side. And it looks if the like, again, I can't ver verify these videos are authentic to like right. this, right? Because it's so, but what I am seeing, it looks like a very unorganized approach, right? Coming from, you know, a unit that is, man, it's like an orchestrated attack on everything we do. And it's very, you know, uh, methodical. Uh, it feels like there's no order in in the approach and their tactics seem very, very loose. I mean, Steve, am I right when you see what, what we're seeing? Yeah, so, so um, you know, I, I read through this last night. This is the Russian New Generation Warfare Handbook. Talks about their, their asymmetrical warfare group. Um, a lot of really good information. A lot of very uh, similar information to kind of you know um, you know RFMs or or, or um, other military you know DoD you know tactical documents about movements, battle drill six, different battle drills, things like that. What I will say is they follow a more calculated approach than what in this doctrine than what we've seen on the ground, but I don't know if that's by design. Yeah. I now, was say, is that a strategy in itself? So, and, and that's where I'm a little, I'm a, I'm stuck on a few things. One is the second third order effects of what's next. Uh, 
you know what I mean? So meaning if I, I mean, I'll just cut straight to the point. I believe that at some point he will drop a large thermobaric weapon on Kiev because he will not be able to take the city. I am, I am hoping and praying to God that I am wrong about that. Um, but you know, we, we are anticipating and I'll have Jake talk about, you know, uh, Russia's nuclear preparedness and readiness here in a second. But, um, you know, I am anticipating he drops like a KH 101, a KH 55, you know, something with a, with a high, with, it'll be a low yield, like 250 KT, you know, weapon, um, that, because he can't get an entrenched insert what he's going to consider an insurgency out of the city or out of the cities. Before you go further, when you're whatever those words you're talking about when it comes to a bomb, is that nuclear you're talking about, or is that just high powered? Uh, I'll let I'll let Jake talk on on that. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, it, it's a little bit of both. So um, whenever we talk about the kilotons and the blast yield and blast radius, so just for a frame of reference, for every ten kilotons of a blast yield, that's about five miles affected. Jesus. So and. From my experience and working this field, Russia, their prized possession is the TU-160 White Swan. That's their heavy long-range aviation bomber. And that carries a KH-101, which has a blast yield of 250 kilotons, which would effectively have a blast radius of, 50, I want to say, 30 miles and 50 kilometers. So, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> And um, something else that's a little more troubling about this is yesterday, the defense minister of Russia actually went on to make the long range aviation units in Russia combat effective. So active combat duty. Yeah. And um, which, which another, could be just a form of uh, intimidation. Yeah. But, but it definitely. Yeah. Is. Yeah. It could be a show. It could be a show of force. And um, there's something else that I, I'd really like to touch on because it's been getting thrown around in the media and there's a lot of mistranslation of what it really means. Some people, you know, we are talking about um, the heightened, the heightened readiness that they have. Right. right. Yeah. So pe whenever people hear that, they instantly think that, oh, Russia's ready to drop something, you know? Yes and no. So Russia follows four stages of military readiness. And Number one is peacetime. Two is heightened. Three, it's called threat of war. And four is complete. So do me a favor. Do me a favor, Jake. Can you explain each and every one of those and then where we are in reference to that? Right. Yeah, so, I want complete is for sure. So yes, go ahead. Yeah, complete scares me. <laughs> yeah. So a, a lot of people get a little spun up whenever you just hear complete. You're like, what does that mean? But um it's not good, but uh, so one, peacetime. That's typical standard operation. They're training. There's no real high op tempo, et cetera. That's pretty self-explanatory. Two is heightened. So that means things are getting ready. You're going to see a higher op tempo. We might see some out-of-area flights. Um, they typically like to fly north over um, from a nodder that's in the northeastern part of Russia, and they like to fly over Canada and Alaska. You'll probably see a little bit of that and threat of war. That's whenever they feel they are threatened and it is full system go. They are fully prepared to launch whatever, whenever. And four is complete. That means the deed's done and they've already launched it. So some big things that we need to look out for. And this is why I think it's really important with that mistranslation in the media is Russia and the Ministry of Defense of the Russian Federation, they specifically said heightened. So that means they're at level two. So whenever we start hearing key words from the Russian Federation's press saying threat of war, that's when we really need to keep our ears and eyes open because it's imminent at that point. And at that point, NORAD's probably going to be, you know, scrambling at their heels trying to figure something out. And I'm, I'm really confident in what they can do, but it's just... Um, a scary reality you know and then complete that's exactly what it sounds like they launch something yeah jake when you you're talking about like when when and someone watching this right we hear this and all of this is really scary you know the, mm -hmm. we're, we, there's talks you know world war three i mean it's it's emotional and it's terrifying i mean what at the at this point we are helping 
with humanitarian evacuations. What are we telling people when they call our office and say, what do we do? We have a loved one in Kiev. What are we saying? Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I, I'm literally going back and forth with a 20-year-old, 22-year-old young lady who's stuck um, outside, about two hours outside Poland-Slovakia border right now. I'm, I'm, I'm literally speaking with her right now as we're, we're talking because she's in quite a panic and she wants to get out. The family wants to get her out. Um, number one, number one rule here is travel safely. Um, and if you can't travel safely, then, you know, uh, shelter in place until you can, um, at some point, right. That's personal discussion. We cannot armchair quarterback from here on when somebody, if they think that they're able to travel, then, you know, we can advise them on how to do it in different environments. You have three types of environments um, in conflict zones. You have um, permissive, right? Which is pretty self-explanatory. You know, it's free travel, safe travel. You have semi-permissive, which means there are times or situations where you can't travel safely um, or there's a heightened state of alert needed. And then you have non-permissive, which means don't travel um, or travel at very high risk. You know, I Ukraine right now is in a state of semi-permissive travel. Um, it, it is there are there are green routes everywhere. Um, we we were, were in contact this morning with a team on the ground, um, uh, folks that work with TNG uh, every day, and. You know, we've been on we've been on with folks in Poland, uh, Romania. We've talked to people that are on the ground currently in Kiev and, and a couple other cities. Um, I think part of the problem that a lot of folks have is not knowing which way to go. So something we do really well as practitioners in the security space, right, is we go in somewhere, we know our routes in and out. Um, I would say plan your route, plan three routes, right? If you're moving, make sure you know your time, distance, direction of arrival, um, departure. Make sure you have holdup points um, along your route that you believe would be comfortable to be to be held up for, you know, two three days. Um, I would have enough food and water for at least ten days of travel, um, based on having to hold up. Um, I would, as far as medical equipment, right. I'm not going to tell people to perform medical, you know, emergencies, but, you know, pressure dressings, um, you know, this is the, your biggest concern is stopping the bleeding. Right. Um, and things like this, you have shrapnel concerns, you have car accident concerns, you need to be able to stop the bleeding. So compression dressings, things like that, tourniquets, uh, even, even having things makeshift, like, you know, a metal rod with a piece of, you know, thick leather to be able to make a tourniquet. Um, you know, Vince could probably talk on the medical preparedness side of this, but, um, uh, you, know, you know, there's a lot of conversations right now amongst, you know, military buddies on getting in and out with weapons. Um, yeah. I do know some guys that have gotten in country with weapons. They secured weapons in Poland and have gone in. Listen to all you, you know, running, gunning, you know, rooting, tooting animals out there. Um, if you don't have experience operating in a semi or non-permissive environment with a weapon, I wouldn't even try to go for this. Right. Um, no. I, I, I can tell you right now, um, if you know what you're doing, you know what to do. If you don't, don't do it. Um, because, you know, this is uh, this is not. Yes, it's not a military operation. There is nobody coming to get you if you get jammed up. Um, you will probably rot in a containment facility for an extended period of time if you do get jammed up, or you're going to get shot. Um, evacuation efforts are about ES, not about fighting. There's a lot of folks that want to talk about fighting and things like that. I, I don't. Um, I think the other the other piece to this is is opposition understanding, right? What is the opposition doing? 
Um, so in this case, right, it's Russia. Um, in Venezuela, it was the government. Um, in Kenya, it was it was a disparaged government. So these are things that I would look at. You got to know what's going on, right? Being able to collect intelligence. Um, we've heard different things about internet being down. Um, so if you have that, download a map while you have internet. Have a map. Have an understanding which way to go. A lot of people are just heading west, which is great until you run into some sort of adversarial movement. Um, there's also down in the southern region, we, we've gotten a lot of reports of crime and bandits um, that are attempting to um, you know, take people's belongings, money, cash, um, makeshift checkpoints, things like that. And then on the other side of it, up north, we've heard a lot about free, free lateral movement at checkpoints, right? They, there was, you know, we had a team go through five checkpoints this morning and, and they, they ended up, they ended up only getting asked for their passports at one checkpoint. So, and then the, the Ukrainian, you know, uh, security forces or whatever they are, we're very excited to see our our friends there. <laughs> apparently, so I don't know. It, it, it's this is there's a lot of situational awareness that goes into this. There's a lot of understanding, you know, for for different, I would say, um, tradecraft skill sets. So let's talk about something that I you know I hear what you're saying for those who are in country and trying to you know navigate that space. But how about if Russia does drop? this bomb and the oncoming effects that what could potentially happen here at home um if they drop a major bomb uh and, and potentially can create uh you know a little bit of a world chaos and or or, or who's going to retaliate that if we're going to retaliate do we match that bomb to another bomb in russia blah 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 i mean the, the story goes on and on what do you do at home when there's a fear of that potentially coming in our backyard, is there Jake, maybe you or Sam would know, is there a potential? Obviously I think there always is a potential of that. And how could some people here in the United States be better prepared in the event? Uh, and, and maybe that is something we can talk about. From the, the political possibility of that happening, um, despite uh, a lot of the rhetoric in the news you hear, um, the United States foreign policy has been fairly conservative in regards to this uh, situation in Ukraine. So there's a lot of talk about there has been talk of a no fly zone in Ukraine or certain parts of uh, Eastern Europe that would involve threatening Russian aircraft. And so both the United States um, and I believe the United Kingdom have taken that off the table. Um, so. We, at the very least, in the West, are not pushing uh, towards escalation um, in terms of direct conflict. Um, if a nuclear bomb were to go off, I don't know what that would mean, um, because that would be, uh, I mean, that really hasn't happened since 1945. Um, so who could say? Um, but you, you would want to be at a level of um, disaster preparedness, just as you would for um, a natural disaster here at home, um, and that uh, some of the other people here could speak to better than I could. You know, I, I think, um, you know, here in the States, it's hard for us to see realities like this, right? This doesn't happen very often in front of our faces. And for a while, the narrative has been, if we get in a war, it's going to be in a cyberspace, you know, not a physical one. Do you think this serves as a reminder to everyone that the physical is still always possible when someone wants to invade? I mean, do you think this is kind of like a wake up call or a dose of reality for America? So, so, I mean, here's, here's my take on this, right? Um, I've been preparing for whatever for years, right? I've got plans, I've got routes, I've got weapons, I've got ammo. 
I've got cash. I've got gold. I've got, you know what I mean? Like I just, I, do I have everything in excess? Probably the only thing is guns. I think everyone would agree with, I got a little bit too many of those, but at the end of the day, you know, do I think Russia's going to nuke the U S no. Um, I think our early warning detection systems, which whatever Jake's comfortable with talking about on that, um, you know, I'll let him answer, but I think a major cyber attack, I think also a major EMP attack um, is realistic. I think that's realistic both here and in Europe. I think right now I got to go back to where Russia is, right? It's almost like they've gone down a road they can't ungo down. I want, right? I want to say something on that, Steve, because it's almost like it's ego can get in the way very yeah, easily. Ego. And, and what I've seen, it seems like it's not happening as easy as expected. Uh, okay, so so we got to be really careful with that because I, I was just talking to somebody in, in the intelligence community about this this morning. And uh, we if we're following mice doctrine, you know, money, ideology, right. coercion, and ego, right? I don't think we're dealing with ego. Are we dealing with money? No, I think we're dealing with ideology. Mm, that's a whole different world. I think we're dealing. Yeah. Yeah, it is because, because what, and, and, and I posed this to somebody this morning in the IC, I said, what if you're not dealing with an egomaniac? What if you're dealing with an ideologically driven egomaniac who's motivated by money? Okay. Now, now it changes because we've seen, We've seen somebody take a suicide vest and clack off. We've seen based on ideal. You don't see that based on ego. No one's like, Hey, I'm going to go blow myself up because my ego is not feeling well today. Right. Yeah. So now if this guy's ideal and, and so what's his ideology. So let's, let's go through that in a minute now. And, and I know Sam's chopping at the bit to get into this one and, and probably Jake too, but we're not looking at 1990s and, and 2000s. Russian, what, what, Russian new generation warfare ideology. We're looking at old USSR, Iron Curtain. We are going to be the greatest power in the world again, ideology. Now, if you look at it like that and you say, okay, they're going down that road. There's no way but forward for them. They're, they're choked off from turning around. They, they, they can't just tuck tail and go home and then go back about, you know, being on the world stage. The world just cut them off the stage. So you either keep going down that road or you go back through that choke point and it's, it's the end of the road completely. Putin's presidency's over. His people burn him to the ground. So they're going after an old... I mean, Sam even referenced it, right? How they talk about Kiev 800 years ago, blah, 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 right? The czars and all, and all that. That's great. But when I, look at, when I look at this and I start to pick apart why, why is he doing this? Because I, I, and I have to look at that. I have to start quantitatively trying to pick, what is he threatened about? What does he feel like his vulnerabilities are? What are the impacts of these things? Why are his countermeasures not coming into play here? You know, why does he feel this unsafe that he has to do this? What's his justification pattern? It really comes down to he's pushing an old USSR agenda, which is to make Russia the dominant power in Europe and across the globe. Does he have enough support from his own people to carry that out? No. Does it matter? I don't know. I mean, he's because got he big, can... he's got big bombs. That's that's but what I've seen right now, I don't I the people the people Jake, why don't you talk on this? The people love him. The the majority of his people, I would say 80% of them love him and support the and and have all been mad about the Cold War, the way that it ended and the way the wall came down and blah blah blah. Jake, why don't you Sam or Sam, either one of you. Yeah, I think I think we'll both be able to have a little bit of input on this. But I mean, what we're looking at is the majority from my years of studying Russia, 
the population tends to like Putin. They tend to look at him as this superhero. He's a, you know, he's a godsend. But you do have certain groups, that, as you do in every country, where, you know, they're in opposition. And I think, I think it's starting to shift a little bit now because I'm sure a lot of people that are protesting probably have family in Ukraine, right? So yeah. I mean, they're, they're probably not happy with what's going on. I mean, that's why we're seeing riots in the streets of Moscow. But I'd, I would say it's about 60, 40 or 50, 50 of people who love him and opposition. I don't know if same if you have anything else to add to that or something you want to say differently. I think uh, when we we think about Russia, Putin centrically, um, while it's true that he controls everything that happens in the country, I think it's wrong to assume that he controls uh, how Russians think, uh, because if it were if we we like to talk about if Putin weren't there, then Russia would be a free country. No, Putin is the man who emerged, who fit the Russian moment, because um, in the in the wake of the collapse of the Soviet Union. The quality of life in Russia plummeted dramatically, and people in the former Soviet states blamed the West for this. Um, a lot of privatization led to oligarchs and other stuff like that. So they blamed the the West for the collapse of um, the Russian economy in the 90s. Um, Putin has set himself up to stand against the West and against the oligarchs and all the things that made Russia poor. That makes him very, very popular at home. Um, and if we didn't have Putin, um, it would be somebody like him um, who would be doing this. This is just the particular actor we're dealing with um, who's well, doing this. Here's the, thing that, here's, here's the thing that I find interesting from the military members and what we're seeing on the ground, if what I'm seeing is authentic, there is a shit ton of Russian military who have surrendered, like surrendered, which if that's fake, okay. If it's real, trips me out a little bit as a military member, right? Because look at our war in 20 years, there was very few that ever said, no, I surrendered, right? And so it's really interesting to me because to me, from a psychological standpoint, where they're probably feeling as if, should I be here? Should I not? There's got to be this conflict in themselves for them to be surrendering and willingness not to die for the cause. And which kind of makes me very intrigued by the whole war happening and how it's handled. Steve, you're shaking your head. Why? Uh, I don't, I don't think, I think it's propaganda. I mean, and more power to them. I think it's information operations. Um, I think they're putting Ukrainians and Russian outfits and, and good on them, man. Um, but yeah, genius. Yeah. Just like, just like, uh, you know, they, they blew up the, the snake Island 13 as they're calling them. And yeah, I mean, they just, they're, it's just on the news right now that they're, that they're going to return them. Um, it, it, which is, which is crap too. Right. Um, like, you know, the media, the media is the problem here, right? That's why we have to be picking up their war doctrine and we got to be reading it. We got to be understanding and then reading between the lines of what we're hearing and seeing and go, that doesn't make sense. That's not part of their doctrine. But the I mean, average person we, doesn't know all that. So where, where do people get authentic information? Where do they go? I don't think really? there, I don't, I don't think there is anywhere right now. <laughs> I think it's a yeah. lot skewed. I mean, really, the only place that you'd be able to get is um, like Telegram channels, but even those are muddled with disinformation as well. I mean, they've done really well with their propaganda. I'm talking extremely well. If you look they're, at a lot of the stuff that they're experts, bro, and it seems like they're so good at it, it's helping them win the, the people's heart, right? And in the end of the day, you win the people's heart, you win their money because people are donating out the wazoo. You play to emotions. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know what's right and wrong or whatever. I'm I'm watching from afar thinking like it'd be nice to, to go help some some people, you know, that are feeling overran. I don't know. The the veteran in me, the military dude to me is like, 
man, I'd love to help in this case. I don't know if I'll be on the right or wrong side of this, this conflict. I think it's just kind of an opinion at this point, but um, I watch it and I feel really bad because it's like this. The other day I got mad because Stephen King posts like, let's go to war. I'm like, bro, calm down. Cause when people start, you know, when, when political and, oh, not that, but celebrities start talking about war, it bothers me because they don't, they sit on a chair of like this very, you know, safe space to say, Hey, we should just go to war. You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of offensive from a dude who's been to war and, and still hurts from watching the families and all those yeah. things that it, I guess I get super irritated about it all. And, and the propaganda is helping, right? The propaganda is causing these, you know, let's go sing a song for peace and shit kind of stuff that you start seeing. And, and that's how good they are propaganda. You got every, you know, every celebrity jumping on board with this concept. Hey Jake, I have a question. So I want you guys to kind of explain like, you know, you, how do you, when you go through all of this information, you're trained to do it, but if you could kind of generally talk about how, you know, whether something's BS or real, like, how do you, how do you discern that? Right. So, um, really it's just going to have to be cross-referencing with doctrine and historics, you know, I mean, if something doesn't make sense, I mean, for example, these, uh, the death toll for Russians, I think, what were they over 4,000? Mm-hmm. And Ukraine, yeah. that, that's insane. That's ludicrous. I mean, for them to take, I think it's like, what, like a 2% cut of their entire military? No. I mean, and like we said, I mean, we know that if they really wanted to bulldoze Ukraine, they could have already. And it's just going to come back to taking your reporting and you're going to have to cross-reference that with doctrine. And you're going to see what actually makes sense. I mean, that's really all we can do at this point. And then from after cross-referencing and kind of sorting it all out. You have to see now from all of this, what is the most plausible thing we're looking at here? So you really think 90% of what we're seeing is just BS propaganda, if not more? Absolutely. That's good to know. That's good to know because even I get sucked into it, dude. Oh, we all do. I get emotional. Well, well, so I mean, I mean, Ukrainians on ground, I don't, I, and here's the other issue that we're running into is, I mean, the Ukrainians are running their own disinformation campaign against Russia, but it's muddling our own reporting and our capability of ingesting that reporting and knowing what's going on. You so know what I mean? Really, really give sunflower seeds. <sighs> Man. We don't know, right? We don't know. Yeah. I'll tell you what. But I mean. Outside looking in, you, Ukraine's looking like they are putting up one hell of a fight. And from, I guess, a storytelling standpoint, it feels good to see. But again, what are not the underdog? Yeah. And that's what, that's the message they're putting out there. And it's a brilliance. Um, if it, all of it is just propaganda in itself is a very brilliant tactic that they're using. Absolutely. I mean, and, and the levels of disinformation and propaganda we're seeing, it's its crazy. It's mind boggling. I mean, we're seeing stuff saying that um, Ukrainians on ground are saying that the attacks and everything, they're saying that the situation is nowhere near as half as bad as the media is reporting it out to be. But then on the other hand, we see bombs dropped in Kiev, a, a TV tower just got taken out. But then it's where's where's the media in here, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've seen videos of like Ukraines talking to to Russians that their tank ran out of gas, right? Like, in in a real world war, in my head, you'd be like, all right, we got to take these dudes out, right? <laughs> you know, like every single one of these dudes has to go out in my head. Yeah. So when you see it's a really different perspective of war that you wouldn't see in the Iraq and and, and and Afghan war, right? It's just a very different kind of the whole thing's a different vibe because they do have family there, right? They're deeply rooted in culture between the two. So it's so different. And, and, you know, we see Steve typing. I do want to just remind everyone we are in it, right? So I want to get back to our efforts and I want to talk to about reality of extracting someone because we do get so many calls. And while we would love to be able to get every single person out that calls us, that's not the reality of the situation. So at this point, Steve, what do people need to know about what it takes to get someone out and what's the best way for someone to help at this point? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're, we're sitting here 
there's a couple sides to this conversation, right? There's the humanitarian side. Yeah. And there's the, I don't care what it costs to get my family member out. Um, we are not attempting to profit on that. Um, we are, however, attempting to cover operational expenses to be able to get somebody out safely, provide the intelligence overview, overview track them, pay border crossing, you know, fees <laughs> if we need to, um, and different things. So it just depends where they're at. It depends how dangerous it is. Depends, are we sending our assets in? Are we using local assets? The local asset piece is deteriorating very quickly. Um, people are taking money from people and they're not getting them out. Um, we've had that happen about five times thus far. Um, and it's a really big issue. There's probably some folks that, that need to have a talking to um, at some point because, you know, they're, they're in the industry. They're, they're, but they've taken money and then they've fallen off the grid. So um, if they're not dead, that's a problem um, because, you know, they've taken money from people to help people and then they've shut their phones off or whatever. Um, so that being said, I, I think one is identify a reputable group that knows what they're doing. Um, we've actually walked a lot of people out on their own um, by establishing a pretty robust intelligence network of folks um, on the ground to be able to say, hey, you can move at this time, this time, this time, hit this border crossing at this time, you know, and, you know, Paul will be there. And Paul will help facilitate you, you getting over the border. So, I mean, that's a lot of what we can do. The big thing right now is, I mean, for me, is not the evacuations. It's watching what happens next. Um, we, we can assist with that evacuations all day long. We can guide people where to go and what to do. It is very specific and contingent upon what their location is, where they're at in reference to any type of conflict spots. Um, and then also what are, what are the border nations going to do as this thing escalates, right? You may not be able to get out of the border here real soon. They may shut the border down. We don't know. We don't know what they're going to do. We don't know what Poland's going to do. We don't know what, you know, so my advice to everybody is this, get out of the country. Now, if you're not there to fight, if you're there to fight Godspeed and, you know, I, 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 you know, give them hell. Um, I, I think uh, I'm not going to sit here and say, Hey, I want to go fight and all that, but there's a lot of us that are having a really, really hard time with what we're seeing, um, having been to combat. And I know Rocco's in the same boat, right? Because, you know, we, we never, we never hurt innocent people. You know, we had people that were, if you put an IED in the ground or you were out past curfew, you know, we gave you, we gave you an order. You didn't comply. We would engage you. But we're watching them mercilessly. I mean, without mercy, bring down apartment buildings, bring down police stations, military barracks, where there are people hiding in those bunkers yep. that are trapped, that cannot get out. And I think for me, you know, I've been, I've been nonstop up for the last, I mean, last night was the first time I slept a full night, um, in a week and, uh, I felt pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. But, um, when I woke up this morning, there was a lot less traffic on a lot of the chats that I'm in with Ukrainian soldiers and security oh. groups. And there's a lot, a lot, a, a lot less traffic of guys talking because they, you know what they're busy doing? They're busy fighting to stay alive all night long, all day long. There are Americans that are on our team that went over the border this morning and they went over the border and they were welcomed by Ukrainians with open arms. I'm not saying let's join a foreign legion and let's, let's create one here. But I'm saying if you're that guy and you have it in your heart to jump on a plane and go fight for freedom, because the Lord knows we fought for the Iraqi people's freedom. 
We fought for the Afghani people's freedom. We helped get people out of Afghanistan. Well, our government sat back and left them. Um, do we owe anything to the Ukrainian people? No. But I think as a symbol of freedom across the world, which is what we are as Americans, I think we owe it to the symbol of freedom to do something about it. I think that's a great note to end on this call to serve and to, you know, truly help people in need is why I just have so much affection for everyone in our industry and anyone who's ever served and just thank you to everybody. And, you know, we're certainly praying for everyone over there. And we just want to encourage people again, that if you need help or just authentic information, the North Group is here. Please reach out. We are willing to help in any way we can. So I just want to thank all of you for being a part of it. Vince, final words? No, that's it. Is If you guys need anything, reach out to us. We appreciate all of you. All you going out there to fight that freedom is like Godspeed. What Steve said is exactly Absolutely. it. Uh, thank you for everything, guys. And uh, just reach out. Okay.